So I see a lot of people come in and say, I'm not spending a dollar until I make money. And that's the complete wrong way of looking at things. The investment in marketing is an investment. It's not a cost. So my advice would be to invest as much into marketing as you possibly can at the beginning. Because if you got to talk to 100 people to get a deal, you know, you can talk to one person for 100 days in a row, or you can talk to 10 people for 10 days in a row and you get the same deal. So all you're doing is speeding up the timeline. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Penn, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Austin Rutherford. Austin is an investor in Columbus, Ohio, who does around 70 to 100 deals per year and owns around $7 million in rentals. In this episode, Austin will tell us how to create a real estate investing organization and how to hire out team members to remove yourself from the operation, then you focus on working on the business instead of in the business. He'll also teach us how to raise private money from other investors in meetup groups. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, Contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Austin, thanks so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. For sure. I absolutely appreciate you having me on. My name is Austin Rutherford, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I run a real estate development company in Columbus. I've been in the game about five years now. Started out flipping houses. We would buy super old, rundown houses, um, you know, put $100,000, $150,000, $200,000 into the renovation of these projects and then sell them. Then over the last five years, I've also started buying rental properties. Last year or so, we've started wholesaling a lot more compared to rehabbing. And I've been doing new construction, single family houses for a couple of years now as well. So that, that's kind of my story the past five years here in Columbus, Ohio. And how did you get started with real estate investing? Yeah. So it goes way back. I bought my first duplex when I was 19 years old. You know, I, I was a basketball player, full-time basketball player. I went to college in Arizona for a year, fell out of love with the game, started reading a lot of books. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I read something that said 90% of all, million, all people who file a tax return with a million dollars or more on it had real estate in their portfolio. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, basketball ain't it. So I'm going to get rich in real estate. So flew back home to Ohio and then bought a duplex when I was 19 and then flipped my first house when I was 21. Exciting. You want to tell us about the story about your first flip? Yeah, for sure. So from the day, quote unquote, I decided I wanted to flip houses. I paid a mentor $25,000 on a credit card, maxed out my credit card entirely when I was 20 years old. And then from that point to the day I actually made my first penny uh, was a 16 month, I guess, cycle of working. You know, I was balleting, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. I was going to college full time, taking 15 credit hours and trying to start this real estate thing as well. So it took me from the day I bought into the mentorship to the day that I bought my first property was 10 months. And then from that point, it took six months to buy, renovate and sell it. To date, it's the third largest uh, renovation I've ever done in my career. So first property I purchased, that was a $70,000 purchase, $170,000 rehab. And then we sold it for 
three, like 70 or 380. And I made $103,000 on that first property and just poured it all right back to the business and kind of just took it off from thereafter. Damn, congratulations. And did you say it was 170000 for the rehab? Yeah, $170,000 rehab. I was 20 years old when I bought it, 21 when I sold it. And I had no idea about construction, no past background of business, real estate, anything. And I had to tear half the house down, put a 600 square foot addition on, build a two car detached garage, put 25 grand into the foundation and then gutted it, you know, completely inside and outside. So, I mean, it was basically, I should have tore it down and put a new build up. If I knew what I knew now, I would have built a new construction house, but learned a ton. Obviously it worked out, made six figures on the deal, but I think that spring loaded the rest of my career. Cause when you do a project like that, at least here in Ohio, that's like a massive construction budget. Yeah. It's huge. It's even huge for here. Yeah. So that was the first deal. So I learned a ton and, you know, now, you know, nothing really scares me anymore. And how do you finance that when you're such a young, you know, at such a young age? For sure. Um, so I've just had a little knack for raising private money. So I was 21 years old. And the lady gave me $240,000 of private money at 12% and two points. So like not, you know, 50% equity, anything like that. And since then, you know, I've, I've done probably 16, $17 million in private money throughout all the deals that we've done. I don't know why. I just, I can talk people into lending me money. So it was 100% privately funded from a private money lender. How did you find that private money lender for your first deal? Yeah. So I talk about networking all the time. You know, I think that's one of the biggest keys in this business um, is the, the people that you surround yourself with. So when I first started, I started going to a whole bunch of like every RIA that I could find, every real estate meetup. I mean, I would just talk to people all day, every day. And uh, I met this lady there and she was just like, yeah, you know, I'm looking to get into real estate. I got this IRA money. I got, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in there. I mean, I'm trying to flip my first house. I was like, oh, cool. You know, good luck. Wish you the best. Blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, six, eight, 10 months later, whatever it was, I was trying to get money for this deal. So I called her. I was like, hey, how you been? How's business? You got any projects going on? She was like, no, you know, I haven't really done anything. Still looking. I was like, well, hey, you know, I got this deal. Here's what the numbers look like. You said you had some money available. Would you be interested in lending on this property? Um, and then, you know, she she came out, looked at the house. Uh, I was 21, so I had to, you know, talk to her a lot to convince her. But she ended up funding the entire project just from meeting her at a real estate meetup a few months earlier. I like that. And how did you say you found the deal again? Uh, so that one was from direct mail. So sending them direct mail, I think it was like five letters that we did five touches on them before they called us back. And then we negotiated a little bit on the price. Um, they inherited the property. So it was five uh, siblings that had to agree to the price. So that was a little bit of a trick, getting everybody in, in, on agreement on something like that. But yeah, it came from direct mail, five touches from a probate campaign. And when you say we, is it you, know, you, you have a team of people you're working with? Yeah. So I'd just say we to make it sound better. Um, I mean, I have a team here in the office now, but it's something that I've, you know, I started from day one and, you know, built the whole, whole business so far. So we got a team of six in the office now though. Nice. All right. So I don't know much about Columbus. Do you want to give me like an overview of the area? Where are some good places to look into if you want to start investing there? Absolutely. So Columbus is booming right now. So they have a lot of like Inc. 500 companies coming to Columbus. We won the Smart City Award. So everyone in the country, we beat out San Francisco, New York, Chicago. Um, we got dumping a lot of money into Columbus right now. Google just built a massive warehouse. Amazon built a massive warehouse. Facebook built a massive warehouse. So there's a lot of big companies here in Columbus. Limited brands have started in Columbus as well. So it's a growing city for sure. But the average home sale price is about one hundred and forty to one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. So it's still very affordable as well. 
And we have a lot of high employee employment people coming into the city. So Franklin County, though, is mostly, you know, considered Columbus. You get a little bit outside of Franklin County, but Franklin County is the most. Flips all over the county. But if you're looking for cash flow, as far as rental properties, some zip codes like 43232, 43228, 43213, 43227, um, and many others, you can get into these properties, you know, for eighty to one hundred twenty thousand um, dollars, and rent them for you know eight hundred to thirteen hundred dollars a month. So when you're when you're closer inside of Columbus, not the suburbs, the city of Columbus, um, you can have tremendous cash flow as well. Yeah, I gotcha. So here's the thing: like I have a friend who invests in Columbus, and he has some mixed reviews about the place, right? Like sometimes. It's great because really, like, really affordable cash flow is amazing. Other times, he has some problem tenants, which creates problems with the contractors, makes it so that the other tenants don't want to live in the building, and then it's it's a whole mess. Are there some places that you I don't know, try to avoid in Columbus? No, absolutely. Um, you know, the, there's areas that they call the bottoms in Columbus. Um, there's, there's definitely areas that, on paper, the numbers look tremendous. You're making cash hand over fist. The cash flow is insane. You're buying these properties for twenty, thirty thousand dollars and renting them for nine hundred dollars a month. Which, on paper, that's tremendous. That's a phenomenal return. But when you get to the real life, you know, you might get one or two months of nine hundred dollars a month, and then the tenants stop paying, and then it turns into a drug house. And then they have all their neighbors come over and party and then they don't pay. And then you got to evict them. And now you're out, you know, two, three, four months of rent and they destroyed the house when they moved out. Now you're out, you know, six, seven thousand dollars on a property that you were hoping to make nine hundred dollars a month on. So definitely very rough areas, areas like, you know, four, three, two, one, one parts of four, three, two, oh, four can be really, really rough. I don't own any rentals in those areas because I don't I don't want to deal with those headaches. But the zip codes, you know, I mentioned earlier are like, you know, B minus areas and you can still get really affordable houses and have really great cash flow as well. I mean we have the three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar, you know, single family houses that you can rent for twenty five hundred dollars a month. But I just I think, you know, going for top of the line, when something happens to the market, that's the first area to get hit. So I think if you're in the B class area, you're pretty insulated from all markets. So do you flip in the uh, like B areas as well? So when when I started, we flipped in the A and A plus areas. So we were buying for you know fifty to a hundred, putting a hundred to one hundred fifty grand into these houses, and then selling you know for three hundred to four hundred thousand. But in my experience, over the past year and a half or so, higher end prices within Columbus is about three hundred thousand dollars or higher. Um, I've had more days on the market and have taken longer and longer to sell. Uh, so we, I'm not, we're not doing as many high-end properties uh, because I'm, I'm nervous of what the market's doing right now, um, and I don't want to get stuck holding, you know, 15 projects. In our heyday, you know, we were doing 10, 15, 20 projects at a time, and I don't want to get stuck and foot the bill on all those. So now we're flipping in the more, you know, first-time homebuyer market, which is, you know, the 80 to 200 thousand dollar price points. Got it. So you're not going out and buying like a 40 thousand dollar property in a kind of a, eh, you know, area, and then taking the risk of being in a you know, bad spot. No. So we, we do not flip those houses, but we wholesale those houses all day, every day, for sure. Okay. Got it. And how are the other like investors who are buying those properties deal with that? Like the turnover and everything? The risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if you're super hands-on, if you manage the property and you're going there to collect the rent, you can find better tenants and you can, um, you know, manage things better because you're seeing the property every month. So you can see when things start getting out of hand. So in my opinion, I think that's how a lot of people are managing. Um, and also, there's a couple really big hedge funds here in Columbus that we sell a lot of rental properties to. 
I mean, they just have massive teams and organizations that, you know, they're just looking to buy as many properties as possible. That's crazy. How do you find a hedge fund like that? Man, yeah, that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to find more of them. Uh, but the two that I have that we sell to now, one of them came from a referral from a buddy of mine. And the other one just called me out of the blue. So, you know, they may have seen some of our wholesale deals, you know, posted on Facebook or something. But they just called and introduced themselves. And, and, you know, we started selling them properties as well. But I mean, hedge funds are great. But sometimes, I mean, just like everybody, though, sometimes they start counting your pockets. That's not always the best case scenario. So that's why we, we still, I call it wholesaling buying property, putting five, 10, 15 grand into it. Some people call it rehabbing, but that's why we still hotel properties today. So we can try and maximize the profitability on everything. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's pretty cool. So basically you don't go out finding hedge funds, they go out and find you. Yeah, that's the position you want to be in ideally for sure. Yeah. So what is your role in the organization now? Yeah. So over the last year and a half, two years or so, I finally started outsourcing. I was the type of guy that you know, wanted to have be hands on everything. I wanted to see every penny, every email, every text message. It was just me just going crazy. I had an assistant, you know, we were doing really well, but I didn't have any freedom. I didn't have any time. So last year, year and a half, I started, you know, hiring people. Um, so right now we have three people on the acquisition side. They run pretty seamlessly without me. You know, every once in a while, they'll ask me a couple questions, you know, about an ARV on a property or something. Um, I have an assistant that does all the marketing, all the transaction coordination. And then I have a dispositions girl that sells everything for us and then manages the contractors on some of our smaller rehabs. So what I do every month or every other month, I plan the marketing and then she executes it. Private money, when we're buying these deals, I still move the money and raise the capital. And then, you know, over the last couple months, um, I've really been starting to push out a lot more content on the coaching and consulting side. So I'd say I'm 70, 80 percent removed from the company at this point. But I mean, I'm still in the office every day trying to grow other businesses and things like that. So, yeah, that's kind of what my role entails today. Yeah, that's an ultimate dream scenario. And are your acquisition managers, you said they're out there, you know, they basically do their job without having to contact you. Are they in your office or are they based, you know, all around the world? Yeah. So we, we have an office here in Columbus. So everybody that I just mentioned is in the office, you know, every day working. So it's two acquisition managers that close one junior acquisition that just does follow-ups and then hands off to closers um, and then assistant and dispos in, in the office as well. So we have VAs that do like cold calling I mean, list organization and things like that. But we do have, have an office here in Columbus. Everybody's in here. Mm. And then for your uh, acquisition managers, are you guys paying them like a salary or is it commission based? So junior acquisition gets a salary, gets a base, plus a small commission. Um, and then once they go full acquisition closing, um, it's just 100% commission. So it's a tiered structure for us. It's anything under 50 grand for the month, they get 6% of. Uh, anything 50000 to $100,000, they get 8% of. And then anything above 100000 they get 10% of. So my best guy, you know, his his biggest month was like 190 grand. So I mean, he got a phenomenal paycheck on that day. So there's definitely opportunity. My goal is to have each of them doing at least six figures per month. So, you know, everybody's making money. Everybody's winning at that point. Absolutely. And talk about your marketing strategy. What are you doing to get more leads? Yeah. So we spend, depending on the month, we spend about twenty dollars to $30,000 a month in marketing. We do everything. So we send about 20,000 direct mail pieces every month to various different lists. Uh, we send out cold calling. So we have two cold callers that call for us every single day. Um, so we get leads from them every day. Uh, we do SMS, so text messaging, depending on the list and everything, you know, anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 text messages per day. New outbound text messages, obviously there's back and forth on top of that as well. 
We do social media, so like Facebook paid advertising. Um, we do Google AdWords, pay-per-click uh, advertising. I think that's it. So direct mail, cold calling, SMS, social, and PPC. Yeah, sounds like you guys are pretty big in the Columbus area. Do you guys have other competitors who are doing as much as you are? Yeah, for sure. So we'll, we'll do, you know, our goal this year is to do 100 houses this year. You know, I think last year it was 70 or 80 or something like that. But, you know, there's people doing doing 100 houses a year and other people doing 100 houses a year in Columbus. You know, there's probably not 10 of them, but I can think of two or three or four of them off the top of my head. So um, it's definitely a good market. Uh, there's a lot of people doing a lot of deals and a lot of business. And the cool thing is, like, we buy from wholesalers since we will do smaller rehabs. We'll buy those deals and renovate them. And then other people that, you know, have more of a rental business model will wholesale rental properties to them. So it's competition. But, you know, everybody has their own little niche in the market. Mm -hmm, that makes sense. And it's also crazy to think about, too, because I don't know any investor here in the Bay Area that does 100 deals a year in the Bay Area. You know, because I think most people do like 10 at most and they're making their you know, million a year or whatever. Yeah, it's different price points. What, what's your average price point out there? <sighs> Over 1 million. Yeah, exactly. Way different price points. Yeah. Okay. So like the purchase price is like maybe seven to nine hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's very different. Like we just bought a house for forty five, listed it for one sixty, doing a thousand dollars of work in it, and we'll make a hundred grand. Phenomenal deal. But that's like the biggest deal. We'll have a couple of those throughout the year. You know what I mean? But the most expensive house I've ever done sale price was like eight hundred thousand dollars, and that was like super super high end, top of everything in Columbus, Ohio. Nice eight hundred thousand here. A little two bedroom, one bath. Yeah, pretty much, actually. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's it's nuts. It's just different price points, different markets. You know what I mean? We actually just started marketing down in Nashville, Tennessee a couple of weeks ago. They have a little bit different of a price point. Their, their average sale is about three hundred, four hundred thousand. 400000 But it's, it's learning. It's a different market. It's a different strategy, everything. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said also because you guys have more experience, right? You have dealt with 70 different property transactions, whereas we only dealt with like, you know, 10x less than that. So yeah, maybe better to like learn these strategies, right? You can learn the strategies. And then at some point you can even come over here. You know how everything works. You do the same principles here. Absolutely. It's just adding more zeros to it. Exactly. And when it comes to your marketing, what do you think was the most effective one that you've been doing? So cold calling and direct mail both produced about 500k last year a piece. So I, I love cold calling and direct mail. Um, everyone's running away from direct mail right now to cold calling and SMS and things like that. But I think direct mail is always, always going to be, has the response rate dropped? Absolutely. But are we still buying deals every single month from direct mail? For sure. And the more people that go cold call, RVM and SMS, the less people that are going to continue direct mailing. So those have been the best two for us right now. And do you want to talk about the pipeline of how it works? Like they get a direct mail letter. What happens afterwards? Yeah, absolutely. So basically what happens, we'll send out direct mail. The people who receive the letter can either call us or text us. We give them two options on the direct mail piece. Um, if they text us, the acquisition gets a ding that, you know, new untouched comes into their podio. Um, and then they call and follow up and try and get them on the phone. If not, they'll text back and forth. But if the people call in from a piece of direct mail, we try and answer everything live. I'd say 95% of everything we answer live. So the acquisition guys, whoever answers the phone first gets the lead. And then they'll talk on the phone. Uh, they'll ask about the condition of the property, you know, why they want to sell, if they owe any money on the property. But within about 10 minutes, we can come up with an offer right there on the spot on the phone. 
Um, and then we'll put it in contract. So we're hundred percent virtual. We do everything over the phone. Uh, we'll put it in contract on the phone and then we'll send an inspector out to look at the property to get pictures of it. So we get a hundred, 150 pictures back of every you know piece of every corner of the property. We'll get those pictures back. You know, we'll evaluate them right here from our, our laptop. And then we'll determine, you know, if we got to renegotiate, if we got to bail on the contract altogether, or if, you know, price looks good, we'll either buy it ourselves and or then start looking for an end buyer. We'll wholesale it to somebody. So on the phone, basically get the lead on the phone, make an offer seven to 10 minutes. And then, you know, within one, two, three, four days, we can know if we're going to be able to move forward on the property or not. And what are you telling your acquisition managers to offer for the properties? Yeah. So we just have a spreadsheet that on the phone while they're asking about the condition and things like that, they'll look up what the ARV is, what the after repaired value is. They'll put that number into the spreadsheet. Um, and then as they're talking about the condition, they're trained to estimate repairs. You know, they're not estimating, you know, down to the penny, but they can tell if it's, you know, five or $10,000 cosmetic, a 30 or $40,000 cosmetic or, you know, $150,000 full gut. They know enough to know what type of rehab it is just from the description that the people are telling them. They'll plug that number in and then they'll just play with the purchase price until it gets us to the to an ROI or a minimum profit that we look for in our deals. So there's no like set formula, you know, 67% of the ARV or anything like that. They just put it into our, our spreadsheet and come up with an offer like that. Mm -hmm. Now, what kind of ROI are you guys looking for? So we're looking for a minimum of 15% or a minimum of $20,000 net profit, whichever one's higher. So, you know, if it's 20 grand, but it's only 10%, we're not doing the deal. But if it's, you know, 30 grand and it's not $20,000 return, then, you know, we won't do the deal. So, and keep in mind, you know, the houses we're buying, we're buying for a hundred, putting five, maybe $10,000 into them, listing it back on the market. We're in and out of these properties in, you know, 40, 50, 60 days. So, Worst case, ideally, we'll make 20, but a lot of them are making 30, 40, 50 grand in, in 60 days. It's crazy that you're only putting in like a thousand to five thousand dollars into your properties. Like, what are you doing at that point? Literally painting carpet. Painting carpet's like, you know, three to seven grand, depending on the size of the house. And when I say carpet, flooring, you know, we'll do some LVT and some carpet, but painting and flooring, you know, is three to seven grand, depending on the size. We're in and out of these things. Don't get me wrong, like, we get some, we'll do 10 to 20. We might have to replace appliances or put in countertops or maybe put a roof on or something like that. But we're not doing, you know, massive, massive renovations. If we got to move a bathroom or move a kitchen, like we're not doing that. Those are the types of deals we're wholesaling. We're doing simple, super easy, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollar type of rehabs. Yeah, that makes sense because every time I do a flip, it's always like a full renovation, full kitchen, full bathrooms, and it looks great. But it's like, damn, it's a long time, it took a lot of money too. It's a lot of headaches. You got to manage contractors. So that's how I built my business. Like I, I was flipped, putting a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars into every single property. So I, I've been through that. You got to move walls. You got to line up plumbing to come under the joists and move it two inches to the left to make sure the toilet fits. I don't like doing that. So I actually had a day that we were flipping and I had to go to the house and I was pissed because like, I don't know what I was doing, but I was doing something. And I was like, yo, I'm never doing this again. Like, how can I run a business where I don't have to be there? I love traveling. Like, I went on 27 vacations last year. I can't travel like that if I'm at the house. You know what I mean? And that's the only way to manage properties like that. You have to be there to coordinate with contractors to make sure everything runs correctly. So I don't like it anymore. I'd rather be on a beach somewhere. <laughs> Is your crew like uh, some handymen that you have that can do these simple tasks? Or what do you do for that? 
Yeah. So now the, like the more cosmetic stuff that we do nowadays, we have two GCs that'll do, you know, paint, carpet, countertops and replace a couple doors. And then if it's literally just painting and flooring, we have two subs that paint and do flooring and then they'll be in and out, you know, two, three days. Like we just did one, this it li- gets listed tomorrow. It was like a $5,000 rehab. It took us seven days just to get in and bought it, renovated it, going back on the market tomorrow. So a couple of handyman for super, super easy. And then a couple of GCs if we got to do a couple other things. Hmm, that makes sense. And then our dispositions girl, she manages the contractors. So she sells the properties and or manages the renovation. If she decides that's, that's what the company is going to do with the property. Hmm. So besides flipping, you said you're holding properties as well? Yeah, I got 30 rental properties, a couple single families, a lot of duplexes, and then two six families, one apartment building, one office building. So I own 28 doors. And then I also here in Columbus do private money lending to other people now. And then, like I said, you know, we're starting kicking up the content and consulting side of the brand as well right now. Yeah. You want to talk about some of those things like your content and your branding stuff? Yeah. Social media is an insanely powerful tool. I think a lot of people underestimate it. So uh, we're pumping out, you know, videos and and posts and as much content as possible on Instagram and Facebook every single day. So we're doing that every day. I'm just trying to get as many eyeballs on us as possible. You know, YouTube channels, all those things. And then, you know, we have products that we sell too. So, you know, I have a private money lending course. Um, I'm putting together a wholesaling course right now. We do a two-day mastermind crash course where people can fly into our office here in Columbus. We go through every system, every process, the business, you know, top to bottom. So those are a couple of the options that we do, but we're really trying to scale that this year as well. Pretty funny because like I have an Instagram account too. I have a virtual assistant who's posting every single day for me. And it's honestly just an experiment because I have nothing really to like sell. So it's just cool to have like someone posting something on your account to create that, that content, you know? For sure. So I posted every single day on Instagram and Facebook for over a year and I never had anything to sell. I never had any way to monetize any of it. You know, I was just giving content to give content as much value as possible out into the world. And then once you do that, people, you know, obviously listen to it. They like you. They feel like you're an honest person. And then when the time comes where you ever do have something to sell, it makes it a lot easier. You know what I mean? But like, I'm not selling. There's some guys that like sell like every day, nonstop, every message, every post. That's not me. You know what I mean? I want to give as much value as possible for days and days and days and days, and then maybe ask for something. So content's crazy. You know, the more you do it, more eyeballs you're going to get, more people that are going to end up following you. You know, some who said it, I think Will Smith said it. He said, uh, your followers on your Instagram account can now be correlated to your net worth. Not literally, but figuratively, that's the power of social media nowadays. Absolutely. People have 50 million followers. You can do basically whatever you want. You know, you probably can get free stuff everywhere. Yeah, free stuff. You can post it. If you got 50 million followers and you post a $10, you know, book or something and 5% of those people buy, you just made hundreds of thousands of dollars. So getting people to follow you and by providing content is, you know, the next thing. It's not the next thing. It's the current thing. That's right. So using uh, Instagram, you said you're doing YouTube as well? Yeah. So I actually just started a YouTube channel like last week. So it's brand new. I'm hiring a full-time videographer. I just posted that today. Um, everything up till now has been me, you know, recording on my iPhone, taking selfies, but hiring a guy, you know, full-time, just always going to do is just pump out as much content as possible. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, man. Do you have any tips for new investors who want to get into the business? 
Yeah, for sure. So a lot of people get into the business, try and struggle their way in. But I tell everybody, you don't own a real estate company. You own a marketing company. Without people that want to sell their house, you don't have any profit. You don't have any market. You don't have anything. So I see a lot of people come in and say, I'm not spending a dollar until I make money. And that's the complete wrong way of looking at things. The investment in marketing is an investment. It's not a cost. So my advice would be to invest as much into marketing as you possibly can at the beginning. And all of it's not necessarily paid in marketing. You know, going to meetups, getting on people's wholesale lists, meeting, you know, landlords, meeting contractors, all those things can turn into deals as well. You know, I bought houses from people I've met at a meetup that was a landlord and they had to file an eviction. And they called me. I was like, man, I'm tired of this. Do you want to buy this property? So there's ways to do marketing, relationship marketing, not necessarily paid marketing. But you have to get as much marketing out the door as humanly possible, because if you got to talk to 100 people to get a deal, you know, you can talk to one person for 100 days in a row or you can talk to 10 people for 10 days in a row and you get the same deal. So all you're doing is speeding up the timeline by marketing more. So that'd be my biggest advice. And the next thing is most people you know, never get past the, the point of pulling the trigger. We've all been in the position. Anybody that's ever done anything in life that's ever been successful has been in the position of fear, like they were going to, you know, lose everything. But we all pushed ourselves past that point and it's worked out. So you have to market, but you have to get in the game. You can only learn so much. You got to take action. Yeah, I love it because whenever people ask me how do you start, I usually just say, go to meetups, meet some people, talk to them. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, because you get some of this like uh, unofficial mentorship, right? No one's going to say I'm your mentor, but they'll be telling you some advice that can help you. Eventually, they might give you a deal as well. 100%. I hate seeing people like at meetups just stand in the corner. Like, why are you here? You know what I mean? There's, there's no point in being at a meetup if you're not going to go out there and meet people. Like when I take my girlfriend out to dinner, she gets mad because I always want to sit at the bar and talk to everybody versus go to the table and sit in the corner and have our little date night. But like, I want to be brushing elbows with people. You never know who you're going to meet. So I agree 100%. Meetups are huge. That's right. And when you're doing your first mail drop, how much were you spending on your direct mail campaign? Yeah. So when I started, I was spending like $100 a week. You know, like I told you, I was 20 years old when I bought into mentoring and then 21 when I bought my first house. But like, I didn't, I didn't have any money. You know what I mean? I was broke. I purchased the list and then I hand wrote every single letter and every single envelope in my parents' basement. I literally hand addressed everything, stuffed them myself and put them in the mailbox myself. It was like 100 maybe $150 a week back when I first got started. That's crazy. But it made it, right? It made it, you made some money. And then afterwards, you started scaling it up over time. You said 20,000 pieces a month? Yeah, 20,000 direct mail pieces a month now. I'm not writing them anymore. <laughs> of course not. You're using like a service, right? Yeah, we use a direct one. No, direct one or direct. My assistant schedules it every month, but roughly 20,000 pieces every single month that we send out. Do you guys have like whole tier system where it's different pieces or it's just the same letter every single month going out? So I used to do it where it was like, you know, seven touches, seven different letters and it worked, but it, it got way too complicated. When you're sending out, you know, 20,000 pieces to 18 different types of lists, it can get very, very complicated. Now we have two pieces that we just alternate. So every month it just alternates. Mm -hmm. I think most of them going in the trash anyway, so they probably don't even see it. For sure. Definitely. And have you felt a difference between like mail versus postcard? 
Uh, so we do postcards. So everything we do is postcards. It's cheaper. And again, I believe being in the right place at the right time is the only thing that matters. Not the only thing. If you send some super crafted, handwritten message, like you might get a little bit higher of a response rate, but you're going to pay way more and spend way more time on it versus just sending a cheaper postcard. But if I send a postcard on Monday and the lady's pissed off and throws it in the trash, and then you send the same postcard on Wednesday, and for whatever reason that day she got laid off from work, she got in a car accident, her you know kid just cussed her out, and she's like, man, screw this. I want to sell this house. And your postcard happens to be there at the right time at the right place. I think that's what makes the difference. And you can only get that through consistency. You can't get that just on a one-off. You might be able to get it on a one-off campaign. But if you're consistent, you put yourself in that position to be in the right place at the right time. That's true. Actually, I saw someone else, I think he was on my show earlier, but he talked about how if you had this like analytical program to like almost guarantee that this person is going to sell, you can guarantee that they're going to open your package by sending them like a FedEx, you know, cost five bucks, but it's going to be guaranteed to be opened. So there's a buddy of mine. I don't, he told me this story about his friend. He would send out like super targeted campaigns and put like 10 or $20 in the envelope, like cash, real money. Because then when those people get that money, they feel inclined to call the person back at least. You know what I mean? You just gave them free money. So I've never done that. But yeah, the more personal and direct you can make it, you know, the, the higher probability they have of opening it. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't think I've heard of anyone sending cash in the mail before. No, I've heard like, you know, lollipops and mints, but I've never heard of like actual money. Yeah, that's nuts. And what about your list? Like, how are you finding your lists? Like marketing lists? Yeah. So a lot of them we get off a list source. So like our high equity campaigns, you know, absentee campaigns, all those we get off a list source. There's three campaigns that we build from our own recorder's office every single week. So we have VAs that build that list every week and we just keep mailing to them. Um, And then one that we do make a lot of money on is just a driving for dollars campaign. You know, we'll, we'll hire, you know, younger kids or something to go out and give them a map of a neighborhood. And they'll just drive up and down the street and write down all the addresses. And we'll, we'll mail to those people as well. That's our best, second best performing list from last year is, is your own driving for dollars list. Absolutely. Because everyone has access to the list source lists. Yep, absolutely. But no one wants to do the driving. I mean, I feel the same way. You know, I want to do everything online. I want to be a keyboard warrior. For sure. And you can be, but you just got to put other people in place. You know what I mean? You I, you can sit at your desk and, and mail that list, but you just have to pay somebody to go out and create it in the first place. And if you don't have the money, you do have to do it yourself. That's what I did when I started. I drove every freaking neighborhood in Columbus when I started. Dang, gotta get that drive. I love it. All right, Austin, I think that's all the questions I have for you today. Do you have anything else you like to say to our guests before we end our show? Yeah, man. No, I just appreciate you having me on here, giving me the opportunity. You know, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Austin Rutherford Official. And then Facebook is just Austin Rutherford again. So we'd love to connect with you guys. Cool. You know what? Before we end the show today, I remember we were talking before about how you do accept capital from other people to invest in your real estate investment projects. Yep. Do you want to talk about that? Because there are some people who are here in the Bay Area who do want to invest in Columbus, Ohio but are too scared to just go out and do all the research themselves. And I think they'd be more comfortable investing with another investor first. I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe for like safety reasons. For sure. No, absolutely. You know, going into a market and dumping, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into it on your own, you know, definitely, definitely can be scary. So we do use private money lenders to fund all of our real estate deals. You know, like I said, we've done, you know, 15, 20 million dollars in properties and all of it has been funded by other private money lenders. So 
you know, just like a bank, you get a note, you get a mortgage on the property. There's a couple other variables to it. If anybody is interested, I would love to talk to them as well. So, you know, social media, you can find me on there. Just, just private message me. We have deals, you know, every week. We just got two more today that we need funded. So there's always an opportunity and a need for more capital. And do you want to talk about your course as well about how to raise private money? Yeah, absolutely. So I created a how to raise private money lending course. It gives you, you know, the deal analyzers to determine if it's a good deal. It gives you the credibility package to prove that you're credible to these private money lenders when you're talking to them. It gives you scripts. It gives you deal packets. So when you go and actually meet with a lender, you can have a nice fancy packet put together for them. But it goes through, you know, everything top to bottom on how to raise private money. You can find that on teachable.com, but it's a specific link and it's kind of drawn out. So if you message me on, on Instagram or Facebook, I can send you the direct link to that. But it's $297 and it just teaches you top to bottom and gives you the documents, the mortgages, the notes, the lien releases, everything you need to you know borrow money from somebody. I mean, it teaches you how to have that conversation and it gives you the documents to be able to do that. Nice. And don't worry, everybody. You, if you guys want the link, you can go to my website, everythingrei.com slash podcast. It'll be right there in the show notes. Yeah, the man. Cool. All right, Austin, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah. Uh, so Instagram, I'm on that all day, every day, Austin Rutherford official. And then Facebook on there every day as well. I'm just under Austin Rutherford. All right, Austin, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Sean. Cool. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Focus on working on your business by hiring team members to take care of the daily operational tasks. The market is kind of scary right now, so don't try to flip in a bad area. It's possible to get great returns in those areas, but you need to be more hands-on, and it's probably not a good strategy if you're investing from out of the area. If you're a wholesaler and you want to scale, try to find a hedge fund manager who will buy your deals. It will be a lot easier than sending them to a list of unverified cash buyers. Go to networking groups and talk to as many people as you can. You never know when you might find someone who will help you fund a deal. If you want to check out Austin's course on how to raise private money, check out the link at everythingrei.com slash podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.